Wonderful, wonderful. Just spend time in worship before the Lord this morning, just loving Him. That's the most important thing. And uh, it's always a joy to gather around His Word too. We elevate His Word always. In the Bible it says He elevates it even above His own name. So we love His Word. We've been journeying a little bit over the last little while for those that are visiting or just a reminder to everybody, a little, uh, just a journey uh, from um, um, Easter weekend as we call it. Um, just the reality of that uh, when Jesus died on the cross that he freed us from self-consciousness. Amen? And that self died. We understand all of that. Uh, last week we talked about there's a little secret to peace. The secret to peace, peace is trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Amen? We were created. We understand that we were created not as gods. We were created in the image of God, but we're not created as gods. That means we had limitations. We were only given a certain amount of understanding, knowledge, wisdom, uh, all those wonderful things, and we were created to actually uh, be in submission and be dependent on God because He is the all-knowing one. Amen. And in our own understanding and reasoning, we separated our reasoning from reality by choosing to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When that separated out, suddenly man got very arrogant and thought he could do it himself. Amen. And uh, ever since then, there has been this man arrogance and pride that's tried to get in the way all the time. And Jesus came to kill that. Uh, and he came and died to, to remove that from our lives. Amen. Um, yet it's one of the biggest and toughest things that we have. To, to ask a person uh, to trust in the Lord with all of their heart and to lean on in their own understanding is probably one of the most difficult things in the world that we live in today. And it's such a challenge. That's why in Ephesians chapter 2, God said we didn't get born again through our works. Amen? By grace we have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. That doesn't mean God doesn't think works are very important, but works are a demonstration of our obedience. They're a demonstration of our trust in God. Amen? Amen. So God wants us to do works, but not, we're not working for our salvation. They're a demonstration of our obedience to Christ. Amen? And in the world that we're living in today, I don't mind, I'm not going to get into politics, but obviously we had a very famous... Uh, South African get buried yesterday and all the wonderful things that went on around that. Um, and the reality, church, is that for me, it's probably a disgrace when it takes somebody to die for, for, for a whole bunch of people to come out of the woodwork and start to, to honor them. Uh, I think it's a really good thing if you and I could just honor each other while we are alive. Amen? And then it's a disgrace too when people begin to honor and talk really from a place of arrogance uh, it's really to elevate themselves than it is to elevate the person that's dying. But I want to encourage you with this, and no disrespect to anything that went on. I just want to say this, that a number of people sharing, and they're talking, and they're saying, you know, that, um, obviously everyone knows I'm talking about Winnie Mandela, but the, the reality is they said their spirit, that, that her spirit will live on. Friends, there's only one spirit that will live on. It's the spirit of Christ. And it's time for us to awaken and arise. It's time to shake us out of our slumber. It's time to take all the cloths off and to say, the focus is Jesus. And they, I don't care who and what any person is on this world and what they've done and how great they are and whatever, I ain't following them and I ain't, their spirit is not living on in me. Jesus Christ is living on inside of me. It's his spirit. I want to elevate him. I want to honor him. I want to live for him. And everything else must become dim in the light of his glory. Amen. As a church, we've got to begin to position ourselves again and shake off this worldliness. 
What God's calling us to in these last days, whatever, is to elevate Christ to the greatest position in our lives and wherever we, our sphere of influence uh, 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 encounters. Amen. Amen. And we have to live like we are Christ because as He is so, are we in this world. We have to live with His mindset, His understanding, His way of operating, His character, His nature. Everything that we say and do has to now become Him. Amen. And the problem is in this world, whatever, subtly things try to come and they try to shackle us. And that's what I believe this morning, what the Holy Spirit is trying to do, is shake us out of all these mindsets, out of these thinkings, out of these ways of operating and, and, and shaking ourselves free from the woe is me and, and I'm tough in my situation and it's all. Because what comes from that is a selfishness, friends. What comes from that is a, a desire to elevate or, to, or a desire to, that I might improve myself. And what comes from that, friends, is in that frustration and that hurt, friends, I want to squash someone else. So that's where bickering, fighting, slander, uh, judgmentalness, gossip, friends, comes from. It comes from an elevated heart. Christ died that our hearts would be made low, that we would be humble in Him, friends, and that we would begin to work together as a team of people because He knew in these last days the world is crying out for family. We gathered here together today. We are not a business, we are a family. We're a family of believers and brothers and sisters, friends. And we do not bite or slander or gossip against one another. And as the pastor of this church, if I find you doing that, I will address you. Because it's not the spirit of Christ. And in these last days, friends, it's not each other that are enemies. Friends, we're working together as a team because we are trying to demonstrate Christ. Amen. Well, I find the beautiful picture, and friends, we always got to go look at the cross, friends. When you go look at the cross, there's a beautiful picture there. And I was just reading again in John chapter 14. But at the cross, Jesus is coming to the night before he's about to die. And he's spending time with his disciples. And as he's spending time with his disciples, he is remembering, friends, the reality of what he has to journey and what he has to walk. Jesus knew what was ahead, friends. He knew that he was about to die the next day, and he knew it wasn't just a normal death. It was a horrific death, one of the most horrific deaths anybody can ever face, friends. He knew that he's probably going to have to go through hours and hours of torture. He knew, friends, that he was going to have to receive all the sin and the wrath of his father and be separated from his own father and in all that agony and all that wrath and all that judgment and all that he knew he was gonna have to face, friends. As he's standing there before a group of people, friends, what comes out of his mouth? John chapter 14, let's just, we can go, you can read there, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. In his last night, in his final hours, he knows he's gonna go die. He knows the horrific death and all that he's gonna have to walk. And what is he thinking of? Not of himself, friends. He's thinking of his disciples. He's thinking of their peace and their joy 
and their faith, friends. Ask yourself this simple question in the church today, friends. If you know tomorrow that you're going to die and you're going to die a horrific death, what would you be doing? I guarantee you every single one of us will be trying to find peace in our own hearts, trying to find faith in our own, own hearts, trying to take care, for, care of ourselves, friends. But my picture in the Bible, friends, of Jesus, and that's what I portray, and that's who I am, and that's the truth that we honor, friends, and that we clap every single Sunday for. The truth, friends, and the reality of the truth in our lives is that that's who we are called to be like, like Christ. In the midst of his darkest hour, friends, he was not thinking about himself. He was thinking about us. In your toughest and darkest hour, friends, are you thinking about yourself or are you thinking about others? My Bible tells me we should be thinking about others, friends. There is a transition of mindset here, friends, that we've got to catch. There is a wisdom from God that God wants to give us during these times. During these difficult times, friends, when man is so hypocritical and man is so about himself and there's such arrogance that's going around, friends, and where man is just trying to climb and get wherever he can and get whatever he can, friends. In all of that, friends, there is a spirit. It's called Holy Spirit. That we are called to be spiritual people, friends. And as spiritual people at this time, friends, we are meant to understand this great reality, friends, that we are not here for ourselves, friends. That Jesus came in the last hour before he was going and he came to bring peace and joy. Friends, we went to a funeral on, on Friday of a 20-year-old young man who is great. He was in the church for a little while and uh, he, did, he amazingly loved and passionately served the Lord, friends. But there's a reality, friends, when you go to places like that, friends, that the great sorrow, friends, it might break your heart that a 20-year-old in the sick world that we live in, friends, has gone, gone home, but it should never break our hope. We don't mourn like those who do not have hope, friends. Friends, we have another country, another place, another home, friends, that we live for. And praise God, every single day, the mercy of God wakes us up to live another day. But friends, I'm not living for this earth, and I'm not living for another day. I'm living for Jesus. Come on. At the end of the day, friends, we've got to stand up and rise up and say, thank God that we were alive today and we were alive to shine for Jesus. We're alive to declare. We're alive to be a body. We're alive to work together, friends. We've got to build this house. This is a home, friends. It's not a business. I'm here trying to build and establish a home in God. We've got to create the atmosphere, the place where Jesus can be comfortable, friends, where he can minister to lives, where we can help people, friends. Not a place, friends, where we get on WhatsApp, friends, where we want to nail each other, friends, where we want to skin it and talk and phone and shout and argue and have big discussions over stuff that's irrelevant. Come on, we've got to rise up and be the church of Jesus Christ. We've got to mature. We've got to get wisdom from above in the days that we're living in. Friends, you can read, I'll read you two quick scriptures. Colossians chapter three. Let me just read it. Colossians chapter three, verse 16. This stirred up in my heart after the funeral, friends, because I still believe we're not getting funerals right. I want to get funerals right. When we stand in funerals, friends, and as a group of people, friends, family and all of that, friends, we can declare and we can honor the person and we can cry out and we can share whatever. And it was wonderful. I haven't, that was so beautifully honored. Joshua was so honored on Friday, on Friday by all the family, by the, and the adults and the, his parents and, the, and the, his, um, Daniela, his, his girlfriend, and all of them, they're honored, friends. 
But man, we've got to honor God way more. Man, we've got to celebrate the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm so proud to be called his son. And my pride can only be in him, friends, and nothing else, friends. Not in myself, not in anything else except in him. We boast, we boast in God. And I'm so grateful that I live every single day, friends, but it's not a sad thing if I have to leave this life. I knew that would go down well. Come on, it's time for the church to grow up. We're not here for ourselves, friends. We're not here for ourselves. Colossians chapter three, I'll just read verse 16, if I can. Let the word of God, or the word of Christ, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Amen? Let the word of God richly dwell in us, teaching and admonishing us in all wisdom. So let's read the word of God. James chapter three. Let's read from verse 13, I think to verse 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In the meekness of wisdom. God's wisdom, meekness. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Friends, how do you know it's truth? How do you know it's the wisdom of God? If there is selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, friends, then do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and even goes as far as saying demonic. There is an earthly or fleshly, there is a unspiritual, nothing to do with the spirit, and there is a demonic wisdom, friends. It's earthly. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Friends, that's the most powerful and most wonderful scripture in the Bible, friends. It's talking about wisdom. It's the wisdom of God. It's talking about truth. It's saying in these last days, let's let wisdom prevail in the church. Let's let truth prevail in the church. Let's read John chapter 14 and let's understand that Jesus was giving us wisdom and he was giving us an understanding of what he's called us to in these last days, friends. And it's not selfish ambition and it's not jealousy. There's a meekness. This wisdom is free, friends, from selfish ambition and bitter jealousy and boasting. This wisdom arises in a relationship with humility and love and servanthood. And I want us to understand this morning that wisdom, friends, does not come from being alone. Wisdom is a corporate and a relational thing. You attain wisdom, friends, corporately and relationally. 
Loners, friends, are not wise. Wisdom is given and found and forged in the fires of committed relationships. Friends, and wisdom is not the ability to memorize some specific biblical rules of behavior. Wisdom is needed, friends, because many of us have to go through life every single day having to make decisions which the Bible doesn't specifically tell us about. So I've used three examples, priorities, parenting, and purpose in our lives, just to help us understand what I'm saying this morning. We ask ourselves, how do we decide how to apply our personal priorities and what we do every single day? What time we give to everything that we do in our lives? How many minutes of every single day do you give to eating and to working and to exercising and to sleeping and to reading and to entertainment and to conversations and to evangelism and to uh, prayer and to reading the word? Friends, there is no rules in the Bible that tells us how to do that. What about parenting? 95% of the decisions that we as parents make every single day that we have to make for our children, friends, they're not found in the Bible per se as to tell us how to do and what to do, friends. And when you, how many of you know when you're parenting, friends, you can't put it on hold? You have to make life Live decisions all the time, friends. We need the wisdom of God. What about purpose? What about our purpose in God? How do you live on the earth when your life is hidden with Christ in God? Colossians chapter three, verse three. When you're an alien and an exile on this earth, 1 Peter 2, 11, and yet called to submit to the government and to the authorities that God has put in place, Romans 12, verse one. And to love your neighbor, Hebrews, um, Matthew 22, verse 39, to make a living, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 10 to 12, and to subdue the earth, Genesis 1, verse 28. How are we to be in this world, but not of this world, John 17, verse 15. We are needing extraordinary spiritual wisdom Friends, we are needing the church to arise and be the wisdom of God. And I said it earlier and I'll say it again. You cannot find wisdom as a hermit or as a loner. You only find wisdom in committed relationships and connecting together as the body of Christ. That's why when God brings a man and a woman together, friends, he asks them to become family, one. And you ask them to have kids and grow that family. So I'm talking about 24-7 here this morning. I'm talking about the culture of the church. I'm talking about the wisdom of God that he's wanting us as a church to arise. A place, friends, where Jesus is Lord. So we go to Philippians chapter two. I wanna read out of Philippians chapter two this morning. Philippians chapter two, probably one of my most favorite chapters. I've got so many favorites, but that's probably one of my most favorites. 
I find that the wisdom of God is found in one verse, in chapter two, and then God illustrates it through four people's lives. Jesus, Paul, Timothy, and that Groot Wurt. I'm not sure how you say his name, but it's a long, it's a long name. We'll try. Epaphroditus, I think. Epaphroditus. And I don't think it was by accident that, first of all, God used these four examples. I think they illustrate something, friends. And if we can just catch this this morning and realize that what we're called to as a church, and that's the wisdom of God, and that's what we're called to as a family, then I believe that we can do what God's called us to do. And that's our mandate, love lived out. So let's just quickly have a look. If you want to go to, to verse 4. Verse 4, it says this. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Wow. It's very interesting in the, when you study the Greek here, when it says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Interest there is not actually in the Greek. In the Greek, it actually says, look, each one of you look to your own. And then it's kind of open-ended. It's left open there. It's kind of like saying to your own. In other words, you could put whatever you want in there. You could say, let each one of you look to your own financial affairs, your own property, your own health, your own business, your own status, your own reputation, your own wealth. You can put whatever you want in there. It's open-ended in the Greek. But isn't it interesting? It says, let each one of you look not only to his own, but also to the of others. So let each one of us not look to our own financial affairs, but let us look to the financial affairs of others as well. I wanted to be naughty there. I'm not going to be naughty. Help, help me, Lord. <laughs> Basically, in verse 4, what Paul is trying to share here to the Philippians is what Jesus shared in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine: Love your neighbor as yourself. What it's basically saying is make the good of others the focus of your interest and strategy and your work. Find your joy in making others joyful. I have a, uh, my kids have a knack, particularly Casey. She has an incredible knack that when um, I'm just got into concentrating on something and I'm now just got into it, she comes, Dad, can you do this for me or can you come out and shoot some hoops with me? And, uh, I think when I was younger, uh, well, according to Connor and Courtney, um, I was a little bit more uh, uh, harsh. I said, can you not see I'm doing something? Have you not got eyes? It's, I'm busy here. Can you not see? Whereas now with Casey, I don't know, something in my heart, or maybe I've got older. I just go, you know what? It's an absolute joy. And when you go to a funeral like we did on Friday, you realize every single day is a joy to be with family and to be with those that you love. The privilege, because we have no idea when our time is up on this earth. 
But friends, that's just a picture of that we don't live just for ourselves. I'm sitting there, yes, I'm concentrating on my own interests and my own things. My child comes and says, don't you want to come play, shoot some hoops with me, friends? But I'm also interested in her. See, often as the church, we're so interested in all our own stuff, whatever, and we are about our own stuff, and we come even together together as family to try and find out more, to try and get help about our own stuff. And there are people sitting around us, friends, that are going through difficult and tough times, friends, and crying out for help, and maybe not in the same place that you're at, friends, and that we can just turn and we can help them, friends. We can actually be the wisdom of God. Because this is actually the wisdom of God. If you wanna find life, this is the wisdom of God. I've given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's not a Mercedes Benz or a BMW or an Audi. Trying to cover all the German cars so that I'm not picking on any particular one. Friends, it's not about our life and our status and our level of standard of living and all of that, friends. This is the reality of the gospel, friends. It's about living for one another. It's about when you came and looked at the church, friends, you saw a group of people, there was no needy one among them. Friends, coming and being part of this church doesn't mean that you have to give up your, your uh, uh, you have to surrender at the door your, your bank details and all what have you. You've, you it's, it's about a heart that's laid down for him. So when we come together, our lives are not our own. It's about him. It's about elevating him, lifting him up, about glorifying him, friends. That's why when he comes and he shares you in these last few moments, he also wants to tell them, I've got something very exciting to encourage you with. Although I'm going away, which seems so sorrowful and it seems so sad, there's something very important. What I'm doing here is I'm giving you Holy Spirit. And what's Holy Spirit gonna do? Holy Spirit is gonna glorify me, Jesus said. He's given us Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit now will glorify him in our lives. We couldn't, friends, we always said, I wish I was around when Jesus was here, friends. We've got something greater. This is to your advantage. It's so wonderful. I've been given Holy Spirit. My Holy Spirit will glorify Christ in me. This is glorifying Christ, friends. Not just about all my things, friends, and my material stuff. This is glorifying Christ. When my life is surrendered, when I become low and humble, friends, my life is not about myself. I've taken on a, a, a servant's heart, friends. Jesus, in his, in his own words, friends, said, if the one who reclines at the table and the one who serves the one at the table, who is the greater? There was an easy answer, friends. The answer was very easy. The one who reclines at the table. Jesus said, but I came to serve. Woohoo! That's amazing, friends, a beautiful picture. Who is the greater? Yes, the one sitting there that's being served is the greater, of course he is. Jesus says, but I never came to do that. I came to serve. And now I'm calling every single one of us to do the same, friends. It can shatter your mindset, friends, but that's what life is. True life, friends, is coming as a servant. Counting others more as more significant than ourselves. One of the keys in the scriptures, if you just jump back to verse three, it says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Philippians 2, chapter three. The King James says, let each esteem others better than themselves. I love this illustration because I used to always struggle with it a lot because I 
we're all different. I've come from a family with four kids, one of four, and uh, every single one of us were very different. So uh, I, I loved mathematics. I was very clever at mathematics, not so clever at other things, and, uh, and every child was clever at different things. I find it hard to actually think of some of my siblings better than me in maths. But the Bible doesn't say, this is what the Bible says. The point is not what others are. The point is what you count others to be. Will you count them as worthy? Not are they worthy. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Friends, we might ask ourselves, well, where does this all come from? That's why I shared uh, John chapter 14. It comes from the cross. It comes from a place where Jesus had to humble himself. See, the cross is a place of humility, which is completely contrary to the spirit that's prevailing in the world today of entitlement. A spirit of you owe me versus the spirit of I owe you. Wow. Friends, the church is supposed to be servants. I owe you. I owe you because Jesus is my example and that's who I've concentrated on. The cross is my example. The cross is my life. The cross is a place where I see. You might be sitting there going, oh, but hold on a minute. Where does that come from? The answer, friends, is that Christ loved us and he died for us and he forgave us and he accepted us and he justified us and he gave us eternal life and he made us heirs of this world when, we, when he owed us nothing. Jesus owed you and I nothing. But he loved us and he died for us and he forgave us and he accepted us and he justified us and he gave us eternal life and he made us heirs. He treated us as worthy of his service when we were not worthy of his service. He didn't think just of his own interests, but he also thought of our interests. He counted us greater than himself. So the great cultural revelation of what the church should look like is that let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. Oh, that's freedom from self-consciousness. And he goes on to use four examples. I'm, I'm speeding up. Four examples very quickly. Uh, it's a mindset, friends, that I want us to understand. He's using four examples and he's trying to get the point across to us uh, as, as much as he can. So if, you just in, if you're still in Philippians chapter 2, you haven't moved on, then let's just quickly look to, down to verse 5. It says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account, did not count equality. Isn't that an interesting Greek word? We've just been reading. It's the same Greek word. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Form of a servant? 
Literally, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. That's what it means to look after the interest of others. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself. means he laid down all his legitimate entitlements by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's our Savior and King Jesus and our living example. If ever you and I are battling with an understanding of humility or self-denial or serving those that are very hard to love, all we need to do is get this mindset and think on these words in Scripture. This is what He did for you and I. We know if you carry on reading in verse 9 to 11 that He was gloriously rewarded. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And friends, so it will be true for you as well. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted, Matthew 23, 12. Second example, which we can have a look if you jump to verse 17 and 18. Verse 17 and 18 says this. It says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. That's Paul speaking. And the second example is Paul. Paul was passionate. He loved the Philippian church. Paul was passionate. He loved all the churches. And he says here he, he would die, and he did say he died every single day for the church. If you want to read that, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31. He said, I die every day. He compared his life to a drink offering being poured out on the sacrifice of the people's faith. He didn't just take thought of his own interests. He thought of the, the faith of many thousands of people, friends. He thought if he, was, if he could deny himself, friends, if he could not be thinking of himself, but he could establish people's lives and the church and grow and establish a church that they could be strong, it was worth it. The third one is found in Timothy. It's uh, uh, verses 19 to 22. I'll just read it quickly. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You can also say your interests, your things. For they all seek their own interests. Isn't that interesting? For they all seek their own interests. Remember verse 4. And not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. As a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. This is quite an amazing thing here that Paul is exhorting and he's encouraging Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy, there's like no one like this. My prayers as, as a church, friends, people are crying out for Timothy's. That this church would be a whole bunch of Timothy's. Who would not be a church that would be looking hard to find a Timothy. Paul said, I have no one like Timothy. And then the last one is Epaphroditus. Um, I think that's how you say it in, in verse 25 to 30. Let me just quickly. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. 
Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. It's an interesting one here that he talks about uh, um, Epaphroditus and saying that he was longing for you all and being distressed because he heard, you heard that he was ill. It's interesting he's not distressed about himself. He wasn't distressed that he was ill. In fact, he wasn't just even distressed that you didn't know that he was sick. Isn't that a popular one? You guys didn't even know that I was sick. Here's a guy's heart who was distressed because they had heard that he was ill. He was distressed because he was not wanting to put a stress or pressure on them without thinking, they might be sitting there thinking, is he all right? Or what? He was more concerned with them than his, himself. And it says here that he nearly died. So he is pretty sick. And he nearly died, but his heart was for others. His heart was, I don't want them to be sad or to be strained and to wonder if I'm still alive or what's going on because he just wanted them to be safe. The beauty of looking out for others in these four illustrations, friends, my heart this morning is that we as a church would have this mind. This mindset, the mind that's in Christ, the mind that's in Paul, the mind that's in Timothy, the mind that's in Epaphroditus. This mindset, when Christ put our interest above his own earthly comforts and died for us, when Paul suffered every day to plant the churches that brought us this gospel, when Timothy served side by side with Paul, putting the interests of others first, when Epaphroditus risked his life to complete the Philippian service to Paul. When all our own priorities and our family, family priorities, friends, and our, our, our parenting and, our, and our, our purpose in life, friends, is all submitted and surrendered to this one beautiful uh, understanding, friends, that we treat others even more important than ourselves. We're on a journey as a church. We're on a journey of being the church that Jesus Christ called us to be. We're on a journey, friends, where God has planted us together and established us as a family and he put you here. Amen. And can I encourage you? I was sitting at the funeral, someone was chatting to me. I think they know that I'm a pastor, I'm not sure. They said these amazing words. They said to me, I just find out, I've, I've been uh, a long time now in that church. I think it's time for uh, something fresh and a new season and something new. And I was, mm. because Connor has been in our family for 23 years. And if he comes to me, and he says to me, I've been with you for 23 years now. I think I need something fresh and new. It's been quite a while now. I'm, it's getting a bit stale being, being your son. I'm going to give him such the fivefold ministry, you won't believe it. That's why he's going and doing boxing. <laughs> the reality is, friends, we've got to get the mindset of family. It's not a business. 
We've got to get the wisdom that comes from above. The wisdom that comes from above, friends, is that we're not about ourselves. We're about one another. We want to establish and build something. We want to build the church that Jesus is building. Amen. Does God care about you? Does he want you to be blessed? Of course, it says, if you will seek first the kingdom, the rest will be added. What's the rest? The rest that he's just been talking about. Man with his clothing and what he eats and what he drinks and our life and all the needs and the things. He is concerned about all those things, friends. But that's not our heart. That's not our focus. That's not the atmosphere that he's creating in the church today. This is the heart that Jesus wants to create, friends, his heart. It's a heart that I'm not so concerned about all my stuff, I'm more concerned about others. He's put me together in family so that we can work together, so we can love one another, friends. The church should be the last place where we find gossip and slander and backbiting and judging and nailing one another. It's the last place. Because that's supposed to be the place of Jesus. And I challenge you this morning, if you are operating in any of that, then you do not know Jesus. Because when you know Jesus, friends, when you know his heart, his heart for us as a church right now is to be the living example. People are crying out for a touch from Jesus, friends. That's the touch that God is looking for. A people that love one another. Friends, I'm not interested in living something out that's not living inside of me. Far too many of the church today, friends, have to be externally motivated. And if you have to be externally motivated, I challenge what's going on on the inside. And I'm saying this with the biggest smile and love in my, I can muster, and there's no judgment. I'm the first one to put up my hand, friends. I'm just stirring up the church and encouraging the church, let's shake off all these shackles. I said at the beginning of last year, there was a direct attack coming on Jesus Christ. Friends, we live and have lived for far too long in an environment where persecution is not something we understand. In fact, the world loves the church. My Bible tells me that they hated me, they'll hate you. Oh, they don't seem to hate us. They seem to think we're quite lacquer. Just maybe because, friends, we haven't stood in the place where Jesus stood. Friends, and I think those days are slowly coming to an end. Because we are in post-Christian era now. The world doesn't think Jesus is so lacquer anymore. We've got a people, friends, that will rise up and we'll believe the truth and we'll stand for the truth and we'll live for him and him alone. Amen. At least three people are with me. Come on. We've got to stir one another up to love and good deeds. We've got to stir one another's hearts and realize there's a reality here, friends. Persecution is coming. If you want to stand and believe, In the truth, friends, persecution is coming because flesh and spirit are at war against one another. Friends, I always have got concerned when the world loves the church. Because that's not my Bible. My Bible tells me there is a clear differential that goes on, friends. And I promise you right now, when you start to love others, 
friends. And when you start to do different to the world, they don't appreciate that because it exposes a heart, an arrogant heart. But that's what we're called to in these last days, friends. We're not living for ourselves anymore. We are living for Him. And if we call to this beautiful picture, friends, where we prefer others to ourselves, when we're concerned with others' interests as well as our own, friends, it's a beautiful picture. It's a picture of love, friends, and it will cost. The cross, it cost Jesus his life. But for the joy set before him, there were three things that he wanted, friends. Peace. Not peace as the world gives, friends. This isn't a peace that let's make everything nice. This is a peace that's not as the world gives. There's a peace, why? Because I have peace with God. He says, peace I wanna leave with you. And then his joy. Oh, if you could read uh, uh, John 16, understand the joy that he was talking about. It was an amazing joy. He actually uses an example of a woman giving labor. Talks about that. That sorrow, that, the sorrow in our lives that will be turned to joy. It's amazing with a woman in labor. What we do is often get a picture of there's labor. Ooh, ah, ooh. I'm sorry, I didn't, wasn't involved in this. I'm just reiterating something I saw on TV. No. Um, <laughs> is that there's all this labor and this pain. And, uh, and then there's the child, you know. It's, 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 it's not the picture of there's all pain and then the stalk flies through the window and drops the baby. And so like there's pain and then there's baby. Because that's what we often think. We think, you know what, there's pain, and then there's baby, and then, oh, the baby's so wonderful that we forget all about that. No, the Bible actually doesn't say there was a, a, a sadness or sorrow, and then it was replaced with joy. The Bible says he turns the sorrow into joy, friends. It's actually through the pain that you give birth. The pain gives birth, friends. You and I, as we go through the pain, we go through the challenges, it costs, it's a sacrifice, friends. Like Jesus said, the disciples, they didn't consider that their goods were being plundered. It's pain sometimes. I looked at my bank account. I used to have three and a half cents. I've now only got two and a half cents. My one cent I gave to the oak down there, it's pain. I was gonna use other figures, but I thought, no, it might offend someone. The reality is, friends, that it's through the pain. We have to walk. There's a journey of pain, friends. But he turns that pain into joy. Because our joy isn't stuck in this life, friends. Our joy is stuck. For the joy set before me. I endured. And then he said that you would believe faith, friends. He, when I come again, will I find faith? Will I find the people stirred up? Why? Because they, the sorrow might break my heart, but it's never gonna break my hope. My hope is found in him. Amen. He leaves us with this, a joy, a peace, and a hope. Faith. Come on. That's what we call to as the people of God. It's wonderful. It's beautiful, friends. You might go, oh, you don't know. Uh, you know, uh, I'm going through difficult times. I can't even put food on the table. Praise God, you'll go to heaven quicker than me. Come on, if we're together, there shouldn't be anyone needy one amongst us. So if you've got needs, whatever, and that comes, tell the office, not to tell the office, tell someone who cares, tell me. <laughs> I'm teasing. Come and share it. Come, let's help one another. Let's walk this thing together because we are not a people 
that are just after our own interests. We're a people that are after the interests of one another and helping one another. In these last days, we are going to be love lived out for the kingdom. He's established us for such a time as this, friends. We have not fought this hard and this far to let go now. God's about to release something, friends. I know this. One, I'm going to heaven, or two, he's about to release something. Because my body cannot hold it. I love Courtney. My body cannot hold what God is wanting to do, friends. But I'm telling you, you have to let go. That's breaking. Let's let go and let God do the most powerful and wonderful thing through us as a group of people. Because that's what he did with 12 disciples. One was the son of perdition we know. He was destined to do something naughty. But the other 11 plus the new one that was added, friends, they changed the whole world, 12 of them. Because Jesus modeled something for them. My heart's cries as a community of people, let's model this. Let's model this thing together. There's more than 12 of us. We can change the world around us and everything, friends. And we can see the presence and power of God come and manifest itself greater than it's ever done ever. Because it will manifest through a life that's humble and yielded to Him. Amen. Shall we stand? I know it's been long this morning again, but we're moving somewhere. Are we getting a picture? Is God, is God putting some stuff together? I hope He is. The church knows me by now. Those that are visiting, I am passionate. I say things in a passionate way, but I do love this church and I will lay my life down for this church. Because we're about people, friends. And guess what? I woke up this morning, I opened my eyes, and I realized I have another day to minister to you. What a privilege. What a joy to preach the gospel to you, to stir up our hearts once again, to say, God, this is the most amazing gospel. It's such truth. And yes, I might not be there, Lord God, but oh, I want it, and I, I cry out, Holy Spirit, help me. Make it my own. Because this is a family, not a business. It's a home, not a restaurant. We take responsibility, friends, this morning. And I'm saying this with tongue in cheek, a little bit of a giggle. I've been getting a bit of flack from good mates and friends. They, tell, they say that I preach a sermon at the end of the meeting all the time as well when I'm praying. So, so I'm not going to pray long this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to preach the second sermon while I'm praying. So I haven't started my prayer, just so you know. <laughs> I just want us, and I'm going to pray short, I just want us to just take a moment, not in prayer, just in meditation of our hearts. And just to go before the Lord and say, God, help us. You know, I have the shortest counseling sessions these days because I've realized more and more every day my inadequacies. Simply when people come and say, help me, I go, Jesus. I don't have anything to give anybody except Jesus. I just come before the Lord and say, Jesus, please, Jesus. My heart's desire is we just, just the meditation of a heart, just, we can just say, Jesus. Just help our arrogance, Lord.
help us with a spirit of entitlement. When you've been saved a long time, it's like you, you think you, you're quoting scripture and, you, and you're being all in faith and doing stuff, but you subtly get a spirit of entitlement, like you're actually entitled to it. Paul actually used amazing words. I shared a bit earlier, but it was amazing words. We actually said, I owe Greeks and barbarians. He used the words, I owe, I owe them. Can you believe a man? So I actually owe them. Because of what Jesus has done in my life, I, I cannot but owe people just to love them. So I want us just to take a few moments right now, just a few moments. I haven't prayed. I'm just saying take a few moments. Churches, we just, just, just have a look into your heart. You might be going through a tough time. When you go through tough times, when circumstances, situations are pressing in, when you're feeling frustrated, stuff is not happening for you and all of that, it's so easy in the midst of all of that to, to allow our, our pride to, to rise. And when our pride arises, we, got, we feel like we have to nail somebody else. We have to judge. We have to... The wisdom of God does not come from selfish ambition, jealousy. Praise God if others are doing well, if, they, if they're soaring. Man, we soar with them. We celebrate them when they're doing well. We stand with those that are not doing well. Wherever we're at, thank God for family that can stand with us, whether we're up or down, small or round. So Lord, I just wanna pray a short prayer this morning. Six second prayer. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Help us to be your church. Help us to be your living word, living epistle. Help us to be your letter. Help us to be love. In Jesus' name.